my birthday's next month too. Is it really? Yep. How is that relevant? <laughs> Okay, welcome listeners, or listener singular, or hello mom, to the very first Nail Social Office Hours podcast. Um, I'm here, Jess Bachman, with... Rachel Jackson. And Rachel, what exactly are we doing here? So this is the Nail Social podcast, where we are going to sort of talk shop about social communications. We do both paid social and organic social at Nail Communications and its subsidiary, Nail Social. So we sort of want to help educate the, um, the industry as well as our clients and internal, um, our internal friends and family what social is and how it works. Yeah. And, and we're hoping this podcast might be 20 minutes of valuable stuff and then probably another 20 minutes of us rambling, which will come at the end. So we have a bunch of different segments and we'll just sort of run through them. Um, we love testing here. So these segments are actually tests to see if anyone likes them or not. If you do or, or do not, um, feel free to reach out and let us know. But the first segment, which we think will be a regular segment, is this week in paid social media. So... Some of the things that happened this week in paid social media, I'll start with a big one. So this isn't necessarily this week, but it started to affect us this week, is campaign budget optimization on Facebook. So what that means is when you, are, when you put an ad out on Facebook and when you start a campaign, you have multiple ad sets. So within an ad set are, is your audience, is your targeting, is your budget, is your... Um, what sort of ad unit you're using, um, and those can have a, can have its own budget, or you could have a budget by campaign, so an entire campaign budget, and Facebook can decide which ad set um, which ad set should get the most amount of money based on optimizations. Um, so we've never we've never really used campaign budget optimization before. We've always wanted to have a specific audience with a specific set budget, but now Facebook has changed that, so you can no longer set a specific budget for an ad set. Um, at the ad set level. In September, they are taking that away. So we wanted to experiment with campaign budget optimization and see if that works for us. And I have to say, I love it. I mm -hmm. think it's made my life so much easier. And it can't, it's not good for every campaign and it won't work for everyone because sometimes you have specific audiences that you need to reach a certain amount of times and you want to control your frequency. But sometimes you just want to see which one's working best for you and sort of see... Um, see based on what Facebook thinks, what, what it's optimizing for. I, I love it. I think it's, I think it's made my life a lot easier. Is there still any way to set specific budgets? Right. So you can, I, I'm being dramatic when I, when I say that Facebook won't allow it anymore. I, I do believe you can set um, like a minimum or a maximum, but it might be within, you know, a variable of X that I'm not sure what Facebook will use. So I'll have to explore that a little bit more, but um, it has made it easier for Facebook to sort of just take the wheel and and um and choose based on what what's best yeah facebook is is always going to try and take take the wheel mm -hmm. and um that can be good in a lot of cases you just got to be kind of careful of over relying on facebook's specific optimization because you really don't know what it's doing mm -hmm. behind that screen um and th the less information that you have the less insights you can pull out of what's working or not 
Um, you know, some, a campaign might or an ad set might be working in a campaign one day for one reason, but it's hard to pull out a learning from that and apply that to the rest of the campaign. Definitely. I, I think something that I've seen just this past week is that if you do have an ad set that you need to hit, so a good example is retargeting. So if someone's been to your website and they've already seen your ad, they already clicked through, you certainly want to hit them you know, a few more times so that they can make a conversion or make a purchase or whatever it is or sign up for, for your newsletter or whatever you're, you're trying to accomplish. They need to see um, something a few more times usually. So if you want to do that, you do need to set a specific budget in a specific for a specific audience so you can control what that frequency is. Otherwise, you'll have Facebook choose for you basically and mm-hmm. optimize based on what's working. Whereas where you might really realize that one audience is working best and you need to sort of pick that out of the bunch and be specific about that audience. Yeah. And this kind of, this kind of dovetails with our testing methodology that, mm. that we use for clients. We have a, a subset of what we do called nail social labs where we do market-based testing of um, value propositions or creatives before it gets rolled into a main campaign. And there is a very easy way to test stuff on Facebook where you make a bunch of different ads and you throw them all in the same ad set and you see which one Facebook optimizes for, which one gets served the most. And that, and that is so easy and it's so deceptively simple to do. And it feels like it's the right thing, particularly if you want to move fast but what ends up happening is we, do, we actually don't really know why Facebook is choosing one creative o- over the other. There's, there's signals that we see. There's signals that Facebook obscures from us. And what will happen is some creative or some ads within that ad set will get optimized very quickly. And we'll have you know thousands of impressions. And others will have a dozen or less. And when something has a dozen or less, that's not valuable data to make any type of conclusion on. Yeah, I think you should emphasize that. It's so important that you have enough impressions or enough conversions in that ad set before you make any decision. You can't make a decision off of like 50 impressions. That's just crazy. And Facebook, basically, that's what they're forcing us to do when they do that sort of optimization on the campaign level. Right. So when we're doing experiments through Nail Social Labs, we'll we'll set hard budget numbers like $800 per ad unit and we'll force that through just so we have enough data and then when it's done we can we can have a holistic look at, at everything that's going on and, and get some actual learnings that mm-hmm. we can um, apply to the rest of the campaign going forward so what that means for us in september is that we won't be able to do that on the ad set level we'll have to break it out campaign level mm-hmm. which is just going to be a little bit a little bit different and not necessarily harder just a different sort of um sort of set up there. Right. And if you tuned into this podcast thinking we're going to be talking about organic social media, I apologize for the last six minutes because <laughs> <laughs> there's just sort of arcane ramblings about um, stuff that you probably don't care about. But we do both here. We do paid and organic social. So now we're going to roll into organic social media. Okay. So big thing this week. I don't know if you guys know her, but a hu- uh, one of the writers we love at The Atlantic is Taylor Lorenz. She's the technology social media writer there, and she does great, uh, great long-form articles about, you know, what's new in social and what are the kids doing and what's the fastest, most interesting meme this week. Um, so she writes, she writes great articles, and she just wrote this awesome one about how the Instagram aesthetic is dead. So the sort of... Um, 
filter with you know your coffee cup and your um and your flower or whatever it is or like your sunset that's out any sort of like you know um instagram hipstery sort of um flat lay flat what does that mean like top down photo things are like laid out oh noling that's called noling (laughs) oh noling (laughs) yeah that's the thing um there's a reddit there's a subreddit r slash noling check it out it's great um thanks (laughs) so anyway that whole aesthetic thing or like choosing aesthetic for your your Instagram page is done. People don't want that anymore. People want their memes. People want their shit posts. People want funny content. And it's so interesting that just a year ago, everything was completely different. Yeah. And we've seen a lot of brands do shit posting on Instagram because essentially their their product is is a shit post of a product, like Steakums. Right. You can't artfully shoot um, frozen beef on Instagram. And <laughs> you could try. Right. But but there's other products like like Gushers or stuff where shit posting makes sense. Right. But what's interesting about Spark Notes is that shit posting doesn't make sense. They're choosing to go into that. It's not like they have a shit product mm-hmm. or, or a cheap or low quality product where the shit posting works. Um, right. I was so surprised to see that. So Jess is talking about Spark Notes, which is um just like you, you remember from high school, it's where you don't read the book and you get you get the high level notes of um, of what happened in the book. So they have their Instagram page and they're they're doing these sort of shit posts, and you wouldn't expect it from a brand like them. You know, they're supposed to be this academic and intelligent and you know sort of buttoned up uh, organization, and, and you're getting this funny, interesting meme content. Yeah. yeah, it's it's a different perspective, and I think we really struggle with um with with trying to find the voice of different organic um diff- on on organic our different brands because we work with a lot of um nonprofit organizations that need to sort of have that buttoned up tone but I don't think that's that's to say that they can't be interesting or that they can't be engaging or they can't act like a person mm-hmm. yeah w- w- we say that we'd love a client that we can essentially shit post on on Instagram because Instagram content is harder to do. It takes more effort, if, especially if you're following an aesthetic and it requires a shoot and requires editing. But uh, these Spark Notes, they can just get stuff out like multiple times an hour. I mean, it's, it's not that difficult and that's such an advantage for them and their engagement and their yeah. views and reach and all that stuff. Yeah, social moves so fast. I mean, we were just talking about how Twitter is such a volume play you have to do more, not necessarily, but you, you kind of have to, you have to try different things and do trial and error there in a way that you can't quite achieve on Facebook or on Instagram. Yeah. You have to do more on Twitter because you can, because it's just text. Yeah. So if that's one of the properties of the platform, you need to lean into that hundred percent. We heard the craziest thing from a client the other day. Some lecturer told them that you can only tweet once a day. <laughs> Or else you get lost in the algorithm. I have never heard something like that before. It's so bizarre to me. Like, of course, you don't need to, like, time your one post for the right time of day with the right audience. That's just not how it works anymore. We're not in, a, we're not in chronological um, anymore. And with because the algorithm feeds you based on engagement and not based on timing, it's all about trying what works and what doesn't work. Right. If you want to hit a home run on, on Twitter, you have to be at bat like 30 times. Yeah. Oh, definitely. 
I tweet about five or six times per bus ride <laughs> to and from work, and I still get lost almost every day. Yeah. <laughs> in the algorithm. It's a, you know what happens. All right, so that is it for organic. Man, we are moving along nice. here at a nice clip. So the next section, um, I think we need like a sound to ease us into different mm. sections. Okay. Any ideas on what that might be? I don't know. What about like, um, oh, what's it called? Mm, just lost it. Twilight Zone. Oh, like what? Oh, like. It sounds like copyright infringement, though. Never mind. I wonder if we have we'll get flagged for saying shit post. No, you just have to say that you're explicit. Oh, okay. But we have to say it feels like shit post is like shiitake mushrooms. Nah. It's almost like a should be. In the I got kitchen. flagged. I got flagged today because pain in the ass was in the copy of one of our ads, mm. and apparently that's obscene content. <laughs> it is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jess, we have a great segment called Rabbit Hole. What, what are you diving into today? <laughs> what are you diving into? Because we already, I already dived <gasps> into that. No. All right. Well, I actually do have something that's sort of a rabbit hole that also goes into another segment, which is more questions than answers. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, something we have more questions than answers on is this whole fuck Jerry scenario. Well, wow. Now we really have to be explicit. <laughs> Um, so if, for those of you who don't know, fuck Jerry is an Instagram account. And actually I think he's like a whole media company now. Like he's just everything. Yeah. It's an account. But anyway, they did a promotion for the fire festival. Oh, right. Good. (laughs) So now you, so you've got some context around the, the, uh, edification of this guy, but, um, he, or I guess they, they post memes on, on Instagram in rarely are they are is it original content mostly these are people screenshotting um from twitter other comedians in other other people's posts and taking out any sort of credit accreditation um and posting it right to their instagram page so this has become a huge problem because you know you're basically stealing and it is it is um intellectual property so that's completely unfair for the creator's perspective but i saw a fantastic thread about how now, some of these aggregate meme pages, so not just Fuck Jerry, there's like tons and tons of them on very specific topics um, all throughout Instagram. Now, some of those some of those aggregators are telling the, the creators of these posts, you know, I'm actually going to pay you. I'd like to pay you for your content. I'd like to pay you for that tweet and then post it to my page and then credit you, which is great. That's a great first step. But what happens when that aggregate account is also doing sponsored content? Does some of the money from that sponsored content go straight to the aggregator? Does some of it go to the creator? And this is where we have more questions than answers, but I think it's a very important topic to cover because this is going to be our whole world. As the Instagram aesthetic gets wiped away and memes and shit posts come in to take its place, how will A, that content be you know, continue to be made. It'll come from other places. It'll come from, you know, Reddit or Twitter or whatever. Um, TikTok. TikTok. There you go. Of course. Mm. And how will it be accredited properly? And how will those people get paid? Mm-hmm. I don't know. And just for some added context, Fuckjoy is the actual name of the accounts. It's not right. like we hate them. No, no, no. <laughs> we do hate them, but um, we're, not, we're not being totally derogatory to No, them. no. Um, I would not use that word if I didn't have to. And it'd be interesting to see how platforms, because one, one thing about TikTok is it allows you to download other people's 
things. But it comes with the watermark. It says right. who the person, who the author is. Of course, that can be edited out. And that's what they do on, on these aggregate accounts anyway. You take a screenshot of, of, you know, whatever the tweet is or the post, and you they edit out the name of the person. It's completely unfair. Yeah, and this this aggregate account thing, I even see it from celebrities and influencers. Yeah. I, and to be honest, I, I think it's really lame. Oh, it well, is just, lame. I know I completely agree like with you. Just like you're like some I, some hip hop artist or, or whatever fashion model, and you post like a screenshot of someone else's tweet. Mm-hmm. Well, um, with accreditation or without? With or without? Oh, either way. Oh, like it's lazy. It's lazy. It is lazy. I know what you mean. I mean, I love aggregate accounts because I think they're funny, and I'm a living, breathing meme, but. You're right. It is if if you're a brand or whatever, it it is lazy content. And and maybe it's just me, but if I saw someone doing a lot of that, um, I'd probably might unfollow them. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. So we have more questions than the answers there, but I think it was an isn't important to bring up. So moving into the next segment called The Struggle is Real. Man is it ever. And this will be a little bit of a confessional for <laughs> Rachel. Okay, so you guys ever... Re- <laughs> What's up with airline food? <laughs> no, this is... I'm dealing with this problem with um, with client reporting. So it's been... We've had some, some campaigns end recently, so we've got, we've got our final reports in. And we're, we're dealing with the problem of sometimes clients, they, they say they totally, want, um, they totally want the data and they totally want you know, every metric and they want you know, X and Y reported at this rate and you want to see different reporting windows. But when it really comes down to it, uh, it feels like there's not a thirst for that sort of knowledge, especially when you're trying to close the loop on a campaign. And that can be tough to handle. So the struggle is real there. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Um, yeah, so that's that segment. And... <laughs> Do, 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 do. <laughs> I don't know if that sound's going to work. I love it. Okay, cool. Then um, so next segment is um, you should be sponsoring us, but until then, here is your free ad. So we obviously don't have any sponsors for episode one, and we probably won't for episode 100. Me undies. Contact <laughs> me. <laughs> Squarespace. What's the other one? Who does w- it? Wix. Let me show Wix. You. Let me show you how I did it. <laughs> um but one, so we, but we do want to give out authentic shout outs to products and services that we use. Um, and I kind of like how they're not sponsoring us because then you know it's legit. Yeah. So every time I see a sponsor, there's always that, that question of how legit is it, you know? Well, now it seems like they are sponsoring us because you've made it a thing. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I, I trust me that they are not. But the, the service is rev.com. And what they do is, um, well, they do translation, but they also do closed captioning of videos. So l- let's say you shoot uh, a video and you want to put it on social and you need to be quick and scrappy, but you also know that most people have sound off, that you can either do captions in like Premiere, which is a total pain in the ass and do them yourself, or you can just send the file to rev.com and they'll do it for about a buck a minute yeah it's a dollar a minute and when jess says file he literally means you send the video to them and they have multiple people work on that and it's done in two hours 
Yeah, and, and you it, get the SRT file, multiple different. You can download it however you want to, because so you could download one for Facebook, because Facebook has a different file format, or you can download one for whatever. Twitter now, Twitter now has closed mm-hmm. captions, so yeah. you know it's it's just a fast, easy way to get to get those captions. Yeah, and a lot of times you do, you won't put in captions because it's such a pain in the ass, but now it's it feels like it's just automatic part of our workflow. Right you know? now, I feel like we can't we can't avoid it because it's something like eighty percent of people listen without without sound on. Right. You, you cannot avoid that. I mean, you can if there's not a super amount of dialogue, but if something is very, very dialogue heavy, mm-hmm. it's important. Otherwise, your story gets lost. And the, the captions aren't burned in. I don't like burned in captions. Right. Those are the ones that, that are like in the actual video file and you can't turn them off or on. Um, I hate it when I see those on there because I can either read what you're typing out or I can listen to you. I can't like do both, you Mm. know, and if it's a video, I want to look at your expression, but there's these words on the page and my brain wants to read it. So, so yeah, you can, with the SRT file, which is what the closed caption file is, you can just turn it on and off uh, on YouTube or Facebook or whatever. So Mm -hmm. you don't have to have it on. It's just there for people when they, um, when they don't have their sound on as a default. So that's a cool tool. Yeah. So that brings us do, 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 do. We need to get a, right sound for that i know (laughs) moving on (laughs) okay so next up we have a segment called the rant wheel where we well rachel and i like to rant about things Um, who doesn't (laughs) yeah who doesn't and working in this social industry particularly across paid and organic and everything else there's plenty of stuff to rant about and because we can't rant six times in a row, we have a wheel that's gonna, that we're going to spin, and it has various things on it, um, and we're gonna, it's going to choose for us. I think you should list them, okay. and, then we choo- and then we have it w- spin, and then we do our rant. All right, so um, <clears throat> one of the options is case study numbers from agencies. Ooh. <laughs> oh, spicy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> shade alert. Um, the next one is ranting about um, programmatic, that whole industry. Oh, my God. That's uh, a big one. And the next one? Oh, the next one is e-commerce guys. Oh, my God. These guys on Twitter. Okay, I won't, I won't free rant, <laughs> but um, these are people who love to post their... Whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay, <laughs> I won't go. That was free rant. Okay. So, and then we have hashtags, um, which is a perennial topic. But it evolves. It evolves. Um, Buying likes is another topic. And then the last one we have hashtag national whatever the fuck day that you, that I won't pre-rant, but that's what it is. All right. Let's spin the wheel. Okay. Ready? Yep. Okay. It is number one. Case study numbers from agencies. Jess, um, what does that mean? Tell us about it. Why is it a rant? Well, because case studies imply a certain factual credibility to something. Yeah, quite literally the word case study. Oh, it's a study. It's intellectual. It's academic. It has proof. Guess what? They don't have proof. <laughs> Well, whose rant is this? <laughs> this is a co-rant. <laughs> but um, so we recently launched um, Nail Social. And in that process, we were looking for inspiration and ideas from other so- social agencies in the space and looking at how they treat case studies. 
Um, and I, I, frankly, I was disgusted. Disgusted. I needed, I took multiple showers going through this process, <laughs> looking at how they treated case studies because, um, one, sometimes they were just super, uh, brief. Like they, they took a bunch of time to set up the, the, uh, the problem and the, the insights and the intricate solution. And their number was a thousand leads. Mm. That's it. A thousand leads. And that a thousand leads could be good if you're paying 50 cents. It could be terrible if you're paying, you know, a hundred dollars per lead. Also, is that better or worse than what you thought it was going to be? Is that better and worse than your KPI? Is that better and worse than last year? Is that better or worse than industry standards? All of these things are questions that are left unanswered. And there's there's zero context. And um, in the best case, there's zero context. In the worst case, it feels like they're being manipulative or deceptive in how they're reporting things in, in their case studies. Is If something is ever says, oh, it was 150 times better, but then like no other context, red flag. Mm-hmm. Or any times where it's like, it was X number of impressions. You... You buy impressions. It depends on your budget. It's like, yeah. Um, so. Yeah, that is something people don't realize. <laughs> like you're going to get the impressions that you pay for because they're $10 for a thousand and yeah. then just multiply based on budget. That is a key <laughs> misunderstanding we've, we've found. So the other part of being disgusted was that I was actually kind of getting bummed out that clients may see this and think they're good or I mean, not all clients have the data background that we do and can, are able to see through these things. And I was just going to kind of get depressed that clients don't see through this and, and it works on them. Um, clients, if you're out there, please help me. Tell me it doesn't work on you. But um, yeah, that is that is my rant on those. Do you want to spin the wheel again? I kind of do. I feel like we have time. Oh all right, God. let's spin the wheel again. And rant three, e-commerce guys. Okay, so I will explain what e-commerce guys are because I know that's a little bizarre. Um, Sounds like I, re- reply guys. We do- oh my gosh, it's very similar to reply guys. Mm. I'll explain both concepts. So, and I also kind of hate to say that these are just guys because I see women doing this too, but it's, it's predominantly white men. Um, so these are people I see a lot of times on Twitter who are in the ad agency, in the um, social ad agency uh, or industry who love to talk about their results. They love to talk about how high their ROAS is and they, they got this amazing click-through rate and they love to talk about how you know they have amazing clients and everything is amazing. And it to me, it's just so transparently wrong or, or that's not the experience that everyone has all of the time. Nothing is always amazing they aren't always winning and it makes it see, it makes you feel small that you should be winning more or that your results aren't good enough. Whereas I'm sure they have, you know, that's just one example of a win in a bunch of losses. I really struggle with this sort of egotistical behavior and it's very frustrating. And as Jess explained, just, just mentioned, they're kind of like these reply guys. So the concept of a reply guy is a woman will um, post something on a social page. Mostly this is this happens on Twitter. And within 30 minutes, a guy will respond with a, but actually comment. So a sort of comment that is, um, that is disagreeing, but is also not touching on the fact that the woman is probably a 
um, a master in their field or is probably a, you know, a subject matter expert. And, and this man is sort of just twisting in and proposing a completely different argument. Something I have a pet peeve about. <laughs> right. So it, with these with these e-commerce guys, um, it, it can be very tempting for for us to do the same thing because we have ad sets and ads with click-through rates of above 6% mm -hmm. on statistical... Um, Sometimes it's 30%. <laughs> but you know how many impressions there are? There's 50 impressions. You know how many clicks there are? There's like 50. So it's not a real... That's not a real comparison. That's not a real, real result. And it should not be broadcasted as your sort of campaign average. That's what people think, think it is when you post it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so why do you follow these people? Uh, hmm. Well, sometimes they have great advice. So not everyone is awful. I'm not trying to paint them into a corner. Sometimes they have good advice. Um, sometimes I like to respond mm -hmm. and be a... Uh, well, a, a female voice in the industry because I don't see a lot of that. And um, sometimes it's sort of a hate follow. Yeah. Mm. Well, it's interesting to note that these guys and us are in very different worlds. We're in the agency world. We deal a lot with awareness. Right. And these guys are almost always e-commerce. Yeah, that's what also what we've noticed. So that's why we're calling them e-commerce guys because, yeah. you know, their ROAS is so important. They have to make that money back. But for us, when we're in sort of an industry, when we're in an awareness perspective where things are about impressions and video views and it's a lot more about brand storytelling, mm -hmm. it's a different case. Right. So that concludes the bulk of our podcast. We have a penultimate segment, which we hope you'll stick around for. It's called um, Plug Your Ears <laughs> because we are about to plug everything we do just so you know how to support us in the future and currently. Shameless promotion. Check out our website, nail.social. Jess has been awesome getting that up off the ground for us. Yeah, I, I made it in, in Wix. <laughs> <laughs> He'll teach you how. Yeah, I'm actually going to save my Wix spiel for the after hours. All right, cool. So that's our website, nail.social. That's where you'll find all of our services and all of our, um, our, our case studies, which we hope are better than what we've just explained, and all of our information, all of our contact. You can email us there. You can call us up. You can, you know, get yourself on a track to, uh, to social heaven, I suppose. Yeah. And our, our case studies are built off the, uh, the negligence that we see out there. We're trying to... It's one reason why we don't publicly name our clients. We sort of elude to them because we can get out more information about the project, about the results. Um, we can certainly tell you who our clients are if you ask, but we just don't put it publicly out there. Yeah. So our, we feel like our case studies are a little bit more robust, and we try and provide all the context that's needed to make a good decision. So check those out. Also, feel free to check us out on any of our social channels, so our Twitter nail social our facebook nail social our instagram <laughs> nail social check those out we also do awesome youtube videos which we will be peppering into our podcast as we uh we get more and more and um those are sort of about they are deep dives into paid social and organic social topics so that is uh forthcoming yeah the nail social academy which is nail.social slash academy is where you'll find all the information related to the videos that Rachel talked about, but also um, our blog. I mean, we we like to teach. We need to teach. Um, we're not doing this to generate a bunch of leads. We're not 
giving you an ebook in exchange for your email or anything like this. We we're social people. We and we learn a lot. And and because of those two things, like we have to talk to other people about what we learned. Mm -hmm. We have to spread our knowledge. And we found that when we do that, um, everyone in the room just it get gets better, whether people in the room are the clients or our peers or other people on the team, the more everyone knows about social and how to do it right, um, the better all the relationships get. Totally. Yeah. Um, and if you want to email us, um, coffee at nail.social is a good one, is a good email to send. That's a good one. <laughs> That's also the only one. <laughs> so use that one. All right, Jess, should we get on out of here? Yep, we are leaving. Thanks for sticking around. Um, oh, make sure you like <laughs> subscribe to the to wherever, wherever if podcast. If you're so inclined. Yeah, and rate it. Aren't we <laughs> you're supposed to rate it? Sub for sub. Yeah, <laughs> follow for follow. Um, yeah, we'll totally rate your podcast if you rate ours. So All just right, do that. over and out. All right, thanks. And we're back. With oh my the- God, that was fast. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> All right. So welcome to the after hours. One of the reasons why we had wanted to have a after hours, wait, after show, office hours, after show, office. I like after hours because oh, that's yeah. like, ooh. Yeah. Okay. Office it's like hours. we're at a cabaret. <laughs> All right. Same. Nice. <laughs> exactly. Um, so one reason why we wanted to have this is because we do kind of like unstructured conversations. We actually only operate in polars, <laughs> which is something Rachel says all the time. I also have said that I like, I need to cultivate mystique. Yeah. That's my newest thing. Yep. So, um, coffee at nail.social. If you have any ideas on mystiques that Rachel can cultivate. I could be like mystique from X-Men. Yeah. She's scary. <laughs> X-Men is... My X-Men Prime was the cartoon show. Oh, from. I don't think I've seen that one. I've only seen, well, like, my first experience was the one where Storm is hot Halle Berry. Yep. Yeah. So that's my first X-Men. That's the movie. Prior to that, when I was growing up, there was a cartoon show. Um, and I liked it's because it. Jess is old. <laughs> I am. <laughs> um, my birthday's next month, too. Is it really? Yep. How is that relevant? This is the after show where we are allowed to ramble. Okay. But um, just to quickly put a pin in this X-Men conversation, <laughs> I like the cartoon show because it had Gambit, who is featured very heavily, and he was the Cajun X-Men. Um, okay. And I'm from Louisiana. So. Oh. Wait, you, you were born in Louisiana? Yeah. Lafayette, Louisiana. Uh, as if I would know where that was. <laughs> wow, I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay. Down. Um, so moving on to Wix. <laughs> okay, Jess is like on a Wix kick. Wix kick! That sounds good. Yeah. That sounds like tricks are for kids. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, he's on a Wix kick because we made our website on Wix, but also those pre-roll ads on YouTube where they say, what do they say? I just made a website with Wix. Let me show you how I did it. Yeah. There's, a, there's a few other ones. Isn't but... Jay Farrow in one of those? Yeah. I love him. I love Didn't his... he write a book? <clears throat> Did he read a book? No, he's read a book. <laughs> Didn't he write a book? 
I don't know. I don't know. I'm a big SNL fan, so I like Jay Farrow. Anyway. I, I love his smile. His smile is like... Yeah, he's very he's very warm. Yep. He's a warm guy. Yep. Um, I mean, maybe not physically. I don't really know what his temperature is. <laughs> I like his Denzel better than I like Denzel Washington. Oh, really? Yeah. That's I think funny. He, I think he should do Denzel in like full-length movies. Yeah, I like... Um, Alec Baldwin's Trump better than Trump, so. Yeah. <laughs> That's a low bar. <laughs> so, um, back to Wix. So, I used to make fun of Wix. It used I to know. be. I feel like I feel like I've heard you make fun of Wix. Yeah. Wix used to be um, a joke. Well, it used to be the, the <clears throat> trashy version of WordPress, but now it's like not. <laughs> right. Well, I, I've done, a, I've created a lot of websites for a lot of clients over my years, and um, it's almost always in WordPress, and then a lot of clients have sort of graduated to Squarespace, which has a little bit of a um, more locked-in, cleaner design. <clears throat> so when I was looking to do a website for Nail.Social, my primary ingredient was it needed to be fast, mm. and it needed to be able to be customized. And the thing about Squarespace is it has a lot of like templates and designs, but it's very hard to put a random element in a place that you want to put it. Yeah, I totally know what you mean. I have had the same experience with WordPress, but you have to like work in the template and you mm -hmm. can't do a little CSS on the side or something. You know what I mean? You right. can't do both. It doesn't allow you for some reason. It's very frustrating. So with Wix, it is totally drag and drop. Um, that's that's 100% what it is. If you want to go that, I mean, there are templates, but I did it uh, totally drag and drop in it. And I, there's so much more creative creativity that I can put in there. Like if I just want to have a random hover thing or a random Game of Thrones person in there, <laughs> I don't have to find the the right block or whatever to, to get that in there. It's so much easier. It's crazy how much, like I had to learn HTML in college and it's like now you don't even need that. You don't need it to make yeah. a website. And I, I, I really, f I feel like Wix has sort of solved the website issue. I, I feel, really feel bad for people that are in the, I'm, I'm going to create a website for you business. Because mm. now you're competing with something that costs $7. Yeah, but just because you can make the same thing with iPhones versus photographers, just because you can doesn't mean you're good at it. Because with whole, with website design, become this whole user experience and the navigation has right. to be right, and you have to have proper user testing, especially when you get to an e-commerce area. I mean, a good example is that the website Jess has made is not mobile applicable at all. I mean, and that's something you have to we have to work on. So yeah. there's like always there's always it will be it will be. Don't worry, he hasn't. He's only had one week. <laughs> By the time you listen to this, um, but yeah, so maybe it's solved this sort of the development part i think well i think so and i think but there's also the fancy things that real developers would probably know how to do but then you get into the whole thing where it's like you google it and you learn how to do it you spot learn based mm -hmm. on what you need not based on having an encyclopedia of knowledge as a full developer right yeah that's how i learned to knit yeah google youtube youtube yeah that's, uh, I think that's how everyone learns everything. Is YouTube? That's interesting. Um, is there any, anything else in the after hours, after show? Well, we do have a meeting at four. Oh, right. 
So <laughs> after hours is abbreviated. <laughs> so it's three fifty eight. So we better wrap up this podcast and uh that's it. Unstructured after hours. We don't even know how to end it. Shit. <laughs> Bye. Bye.